The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, we got the 132nd Psalm, and then we'll get started. Psalm 132, a song of ascents. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. So it just happened that this morning I typed a Acts commentary for 12 days out, and I had no idea that I would be reading that psalm, and I used the first five verses of that psalm in the Acts commentary. So seems to happen a lot. Um, let's see here. We're in Deuteronomy 33. We're going to be doing verses 12 through 17 today. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew, and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of the wild ox. Together with them, he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim and they are the thousands of Manasseh. We're getting close to the end of Deuteronomy. I just looked and, you know, I got one more page to read, which is two more sermons. We got next week's is part, no, three, four. We got three more sermons and then we'll be done. Okay. This may seem like a curiosity to you, but right now there is an American oil company in Israel 
that is drilling for oil in the area referred to in Moses' words today. And the owner is basing his reasoning on verses from Genesis 49 and from Deuteronomy 33, both from the blessings spoken over Joseph. Here's what it says in Genesis 49. By the God of your father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, here it is, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessing of your father, have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. And the place where he's drilling is in this area of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who was separate from his brothers. And then in today's verses, we read this. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew, here it is, and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, here it is again, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph. Whether you agree with his reasoning or not, the land spoken of by both Jacob and Moses is still there. It is identifiable through historical records, and the company, Zion Oil and Gas, is there drilling wells. Our text first comes from Revelation 19. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Whether you agree with his insights into the prophecies of Jacob and Moses, one thing is for sure. Their words and all the other prophetic oracles of God that are found in the Bible are true, and they ultimately lead us to Jesus, or at least an understanding of what he has done, is doing, or will do. We will see more of that in our verses today. As far as Zion, oil, and gas... They put out occasional updates on the status of things. At the time I typed this sermon, their most recent update was as of February 16th. And so I'll read that to you. Dear Zion supporters and shareholders, 2022 has kicked off to a fast and exciting start for Zion and its operations team as we prepare to continue developing and testing the MJ02 well. We are pleased to announce that all necessary services for completing the well, along with enhancement and reservoir testing, have been secured. Zion has partnered with some of the leading petrophysicists and stimulation experts in the United States to plan the next phase of the operation. As Zion continues to navigate manufacturing and logistical delays, the plan is to resume operations in quarter one. These operations will start with necessary recertifications and inspection of the rig, while also upgrading critical systems that will benefit this operation and allow for enhanced drilling operations in the future. Upon completing the inspections, upgrades, and rigging up, the crew will complete the final casing and tubular run before moving on to the enhancement and reservoir testing phase. We continually give thanks to God and our loyal shareholders and supporters who make all this possible. We will continue to provide material updates when we have relevant information to share with the public. Sincerely, Rob Dunn, CEO. The company is registered with the SEC. It has stocks for purchase, and who knows if it will ever hit the big time. If they do, the stock will probably be worth a lot, but it may not last long. 
If large amounts of oil show up in Israel, the nations will suddenly find a reason to go in and take things over. That is always a possibility based on other very clear passages of Scripture. Amazing things such as this possible prophecy of oil in the land of Joseph are based on verses found in God's superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first of two thoughts today is the blessing to Benjamin. It's verse 12. In the previous sermon, Judah, the fourth son of Jacob and Leah, was blessed before Levi, the third son. Simeon was left out of a blessing, probably because he was eventually dispersed in and assimilated into Judah. Now, the two sons of Jacob and his beloved Rachel will be blessed, and they are again out of birth order. Moses first blesses Benjamin, and only then will he bless Joseph. Because Benjamin is blessed before Joseph, critical scholars try to say that this order, and thus the blessing, actually dates to the time of the kings, where Benjamin was the tribe of the first king of Israel, Saul. But there is no reason to assume this at all. Judah was already blessed before Levi, and Simeon has been left out of a blessing. There is more reason to believe that God's foreknowledge of future events superintends over the blessings given by Moses than that the blessings are some sort of a later fabrication. As for an immediate reason why the blessings are noted as Judah, Levi, Benjamin, it cannot go without notice that the future temple of the Lord will be in Jerusalem. This then forms a sort of geographical prophecy where Judah is to the south, the temple is in Jerusalem that is on Judah's northern border, and then Benjamin is on the north of that. As the temple is identified with those who ministered in it, meaning the priests and Levites, we can see the pattern found in Moses' order of blessing south to north, Judah, Levi, Benjamin. Later, Judges 1.8 says the following, Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And yet, in the same chapter, it says, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Throughout the time of the kings, Jerusalem is said to be in Judah, and yet, again and again, people from both Judah and Benjamin are noted as being in Jerusalem. Further, the geographical overlapping of the two is also noted, even after the exile, such as in Ezra 1. Here's what it says. Then the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose up to go and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. But more, I would argue that the entire set of blessings upon the tribes, from Reuben to Asher, form an interesting pattern, a sort of a circle around the temple of Jerusalem in the order in which they are pronounced. I wasn't sure of it until I came to this sermon, and I suddenly realized that it is making a definite pattern by Moses, and he never entered into the land of promise of what is going to happen. And if you follow it, when we're done, maybe I can get Sergio on the last sermon to give a, uh, a working graphic that shows this. It is unbelievable how he prophesied this in advance. So far, Reuben is east of Jerusalem and outside of Canaan proper. Then it went south to Judah, which is inclusive of Simeon. This would explain why Simeon had no blessing. 
If the blessings are based on situation in relation to the temple, and because Simeon is within the boundaries of Judah, then there was no need to give a separate blessing to them. After Judah, it then went to Levi, emblematic of the temple. Then it will next go to Benjamin, the land bordering the north of where the temple is. As such, the next blessing, the blessing of Benjamin, begins with, verse 12, of Benjamin, he said, Laid Binyamin Amar. To Benjamin, he said, Benjamin is the younger of the two sons of Rachel, and the twelfth son born to Jacob. Upon him, Moses pronounces that he is, verse 12 continues, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him. Yedid Yehovah Yishkon Lavetach Alav. Beloved Yehovah shall dwell to security upon him. The blessing of Benjamin speaks of his geographical situation. The words are difficult and highly debated, but it appears that this is, in fact, referring to Benjamin's future placement in relation to the house of God. He thus dwells upon the Lord. Lang says it cannot be speaking of this because the words Moses pronounces speak of the state of how he lives rather than the location where he lives. But both can be true at the same time. The where, meaning in relation to the temple, leads to the how, meaning its safety and continuance. The layout of the tribes provided a sort of buffer around where the temple is located, both in physical geography and in spiritual affiliation. In his words now, Moses introduces the word yadid. It is an adjective that will be seen nine times, always in poetry. It is from the same root as dod, meaning beloved. Benjamin is the beloved of the Lord. Benjamin means son of the right hand. As such, there is a definite hint of Jesus who is the son at the right hand of the father and who is the blessed of the Lord. It is he who rests securely upon him. Next, Moses says of him, verse 12 continues, who shelters him all the day long. Chofef alav kal hayom, covering him all the day. This is a most rare word found only here, chafaf. It is related to yachef or barefoot. The foot is uncovered. Here, however, the word is speaking of being covered. The word itself is closely connected to the word chupa, which is a canopy for protection and a bridal chamber. Benjamin would be covered at all times in his dwelling. The sentiment of these words appears to be reflected extending into the future of Jerusalem where the word chupa or covering is explicitly used when referring to it. Here's what it says in Isaiah. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem would be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a chuppah, a covering, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from storm and rain. With this understood, 
Moses speaks on. Verse 12 continues, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. Uben ketefa shaken. And between his shoulders dwells. Between the shoulders would signify to ride upon the back and thus to be carried along. Metaphorically, the shoulders are referring to mountain slopes. As this is speaking of Benjamin, this is taken by many scholars to refer to the two mountain peaks, Zion belonging to Judah and Moriah in the land of Benjamin. However, that seems to be co-opting that which is intended for Judah. As such, I would think it just as likely or more so to be referring to Mount Moriah on the south and Bethel on the north. Mount Moriah is where the temple, the house of God, is erected. Here's what it says in 2 Chronicles. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Bethel on the north means house of God. Thus, the shoulders of Benjamin would then be referring to these two locations, which include, or which are called, the house of God. When looked at on a map, the two locations literally look like the two shoulders of the land. Thus, the blessing is that of a realtor's dream. Location, location, location. Here's what it says. To Benjamin, he said, Beloved, Jehovah shall dwell to security upon him, covering him all the day, and between his shoulders dwells. Think of it. Bethel is the house of God. The temple right down here, just like his shoulder, the house of God. It's amazing. It's a wonderful prophecy. The entire prophecy of Benjamin looks to the future concerning Jesus, the son at God's right hand, the beloved of the Lord, who rests safely upon the Lord, covered by him and dwelling in the house of God. Next, Moses turns to Benjamin's older brother. I will bless you with a blessing, and you shall be blessed as my words convey. There will be no doubt. There will be no guessing. Things will come to pass, just as I say. The future is known because I am already there. If you could understand this, things will go well. I tell in advance because I care. If my words you dismiss, you will pave a path to hell. But if you listen to my words, including this blessing, you will find the way to heaven is open to you. There will be no doubt and there will be no guessing. Listen to my words, which are faithful and true. Our second thought today, the blessing to Joseph. It's verses 13 through 17. If you set the blessing of Jacob upon Joseph side by side with the one now from Moses, you will see how closely they parallel one another. I will not highlight that for you, but if you have the time and the motivation, it would be a short and fun project for you to do. With that, we now turn to Moses' words to this son of Israel. Verse 13, and of Joseph he said, Ule Yosef Amar, and to Joseph he said, Joseph is the older of the two sons of Rachel and the 11th son born to Jacob. Joseph is actually divided into the tribes of his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim is next north of Benjamin and Manasseh is both north and then northeast of Ephraim, being divided into two sections that rest on both sides of the Jordan. Thus the pattern of the order of the tribes surrounding Jerusalem in a somewhat discernible fashion continues with this tribe divided into two tribes. For now, upon Joseph, 
Moses pronounces that, verse 13 continues, blessed of the Lord is his land. Meberoket Yehovah Artso, blessed Yehovah his land. The blessing of Joseph pertains predominantly to the land. It is a land that would abound in productivity. And this has been noted as true concerning the areas where Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph who were adopted by Jacob, settled. The land is promised to be blessed, verse 13 continues, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew. Mi meged shemaim mital. From preciousness, heavens, from dew. Another new word, meged, is used. It is a noun that will only be seen five times in the blessing upon Joseph and then only three more times, all of them, in the Song of Solomon. The meaning of it is obscure, but James Strong places it as coming from a root probably meaning eminent. As such, it is a distinguished thing or something valuable. That which is precious from heaven would be the rains, favorable climate, and so on. The next word, mital, means from due. However, some manuscripts have one letter changed, making it to say me'al, or from above. Thus, some translations, you may have it in your Bible, it says that instead. Either way, the thought is similar, but I would go with from do. As such, it would then be a separate category. One can see this when the two are placed side by side. Blessed Jehovah his land, from preciousness heavens, from do, separate category. Or if it's the same, Blessed Jehovah his land, from preciousness heavens, from above. Dew comes less from heaven than from the interaction between the immediate ground and the surrounding air as moisture condenses. When taken with the next clause, it being a separate category would then follow more logically. Verse 13 continues. And the deep lying beneath. Umi tehom rovoset tahat. And from deep, crouching underneath. The tehom is a void or an abyss. As such, it is where water flows up from underground. Here, Moses poetically portrays it as a recumbent animal that crouches below. Combining this with the previous clauses, one can see why I feel from do is the correct meaning. Blessed Jehovah his land, from preciousness heavens, which is water from above, from do, which is from ground level, and from deep crouching underneath, which would be water from below. Without water, life dries up and dies. But with water, everything is fruitful and abundant. That is what Moses will confirm concerning the land of Joseph in the next beautifully painted words. Verse 14, with the precious fruits of the sun. Umi meged tevuot shamesh. And from preciousness increases sun. The sun is that which rises from day to day. Throughout the Bible, it is reflective of that state. Thus, it is speaking of life being lived one day at a time as each day is the day. There is tomorrow, but when it comes, it becomes the day. Each day, the son will bless Joseph where he will receive abundance in the increases, meaning the produce, fruits, crops, and so on, of the day. The words speak of abundance arising from the events of the day. Verse 14 continues with the precious produce of the months. Umi meged geresh yerachim, and from preciousness, casting moons. Here is a word found only once in scripture, geresh. It is a noun coming from the common verb garash, which refers to casting out or driving out, such as an enemy, divorcing, and so on. 
Hence, one can think of expatriating. The moon here speaks of the months. Each moon is one month, and thus it speaks of the cycle of the year as it passes. As the various crops produce their fruit, they are said to cast them off. The contrasting parallelism between the clauses becomes evident. And from preciousness increases sun, which is the daily cycle, and from preciousness casting moons, the monthly cycle. One can see the workings of the Lord in this, where Jesus speaks of each day being sufficient for its own trouble, meaning relying on the produce of the day as each day produces. And yet, he also speaks of the fields being white for harvest, which is a cyclical thing that comes as the months pass. And more, Jesus is the fulfillment of both the daily sacrifices at the temple as well as each sacrifice that occurs during the months of the year. Now, with the marvelous words of this verse complete, Moses speaks on, verse 15, with the best things of the ancient mountains, and from excellency, mountains, ancient. Translations will vary widely on this because the words can have several meanings. The word rosh means head. As such, it can be the first, it can be the top, it can be the best, and so on. The word ancient is kadem, which literally means east. But east in scripture also signifies that which is before. The sun rises there, and because it comes from seemingly nowhere, it then speaks of the unknown past, that which is in antiquity, is ancient, is eternal. I translate it as excellency because it is a singular noun, but the word mountains is plural. Also, I say ancient rather than east, otherwise one might say the top of the mountains of the east, signifying the mountains of Gilead and Bashan, where some of Joseph settled. But more, using excellency will also maintain parallelism with the next clause. I'm trying to give you both options, but I'm telling you why I picked the translation I did when I translated it, because it's important. When you see the parallelism of these type of things, it becomes much clearer and it makes sense. The words now speak of what is derived from these higher areas, be it grasslands for flocks and herds, trees, vines, olives, minerals, and so on. Whatever these elevations uniquely provide, that is the excellency derived from there. Also, verse 15 continues with the precious things of the everlasting hills. Umi meged givot olam. And from preciousness, hills, antiquity. It is the same word used three times already in the past two verses. Meged, or preciousness. The word givah is a hill, and here it is plural. Givot. And the word olam signifies to the vanishing point. Thus, it is an indeterminate amount of time. In other words, the clause is perfectly parallel to the previous clause. And from excellency, mountains ancient, and from preciousness, hills, antiquity. As for typology, I would say that these words look beyond the hills and the mountains, here termed ancient and antiquity. Though they are old, they did not create themselves. Rather, they came from the wisdom of God in creation. If there is an ancient hill, there is one more ancient that created it, meaning he was there before the hill. As such, it is reflective of the words of James concerning God. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It is Christ who came from God and who is described with both the word Kadem and Olam in the book of Micah in one verse. 
But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from Kedem, from of old, from Olam, from everlasting. You can see how the Lord is taking this this geography and he's giving us pictures of what he is then going to tell us in the prophets in typology. It's incredible. As for Joseph, the high places, the mountains and hills that were founded in the primeval past will yield that which is excellent and precious for Joseph. And more, verse 16, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness. Umi meged eretz umeloah. And from preciousness, land and its fullness. This speaks of the overall favor of the land, whether on mountain, hill, valley, or plain. Where Joseph would settle, in its fullness there would be abundance. But more, verse 16 continues, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. And favor him dwells bush. Moses returns to his time of calling on Mount Sinai, where he met the Lord who called to him from the bush. It was there that Moses was told the promise to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would be realized from him through Moses. Just as Israel had received his favor, and just as Moses has been bestowed the good pleasure of the Lord, so this same source of blessing is now pronounced to come upon Joseph. The clauses are parallel, and from preciousness, land, and its fullness, and favor, him, dwells bush. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, and the Lord dwells in the bush that is on the earth. Moses pronounces that the blessing would come up from the land possessed by the Lord and out from the Lord of the bush. Verse 16 continues, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph. Tabota le rosh Yosef, let come to head Joseph. The verb is cohortative. Thus, it is like saying, let everything come upon the head of Joseph that has just been pronounced. To have it come upon the head is its own blessing. An example of this is found in the 133rd Psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. A blessing upon the head is one that will then continue down to the whole body and even to the feet. The clause is then set parallel to the next one. Verse 16 continues, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Ule kadekod nazir echav, and to crown head Nazarite his brothers. The Nazir signifies someone consecrated, devoted, and so on. What this seems to be saying is that his brothers devoted him or consecrated him to taking on the bonds of a slave. As such, he was set apart to that. Despite this state, however, Moses asked for all of the blessings pronounced to come upon the very crown of his head. The clauses form somewhat of a pun and a contrasting parallel. Joseph, or Yosef, means he shall add. And yet, the brothers separated him from themselves. Let come to head Joseph, and to crown head Nazarite his brothers. The four clauses anticipate Christ, who is the one to receive the ultimate blessings of the inheritance of the earth from the Lord, who dwells in the bush. 
Further, Joseph anticipates Christ in the meaning of his name. Yosef, or he shall add, speaks of the one who adds, Yasaf, to the people of God through his ministry. But the name is also based on the word Asaf, meaning to take away. He is the one who takes away the reproach of his people. I'll stop right there and I'll say that that was the case with Joseph, but it was also the case with his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. All three of them have names based on two words instead of one word like most of the brothers of Israel. Joseph is named Joseph. He shall add because what did the mother say? May he add another son to me. And the Lord did, gave him Benjamin. At the same time, he has taken away my reproach because she had been without a child all that time. So there's two words which are the basis for his name. So it's very interesting, and you're going to see this on the other the two sons of Joseph as well, Manasseh and Ephraim. And when that happens, it's important to understand that God is telling us lots of information with a single name. At the same time, he was separated from his brothers being set apart to the bondage of the law in order to free his brothers from it. So you see that Jesus is the one who adds, okay, and at the same time, he takes away. The totality of Moses' words speak of Joseph, but they anticipate Christ. Moses next says, verse 17, his glory is like a firstborn bull. Bekor shoro hadar lo. Firstborn, his bull, magnificence to him. The object of the words is his, meaning Joseph's seed, not Joseph. Some say that this is referring to Ephraim as the firstborn bull. This is because, though not the firstborn, Jacob blessed Ephraim as such, placing him above his brother Manasseh. When Joseph told Jacob that he was blessing the wrong son, Jacob corrected him. I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Ephraim was the one who grew into the most powerful of the sons, and who was called Melo HaGoyim, or Fullness the Nations, by Jacob. However, I would argue that this bull is referring to both sons, Manasseh the firstborn and Ephraim the second the one placed as firstborn. I think this will be evident as we go on. It is the collective, Ephraim and Manasseh. So actually you could say the bull is Joseph and then the two horns would be the two sons. You'll see this in a minute and it'll all clear up. It is collective, Ephraim and Manasseh, that Moses is saying would be magnificence to Joseph. He next says, verse 17 continues, and his horns like the horns of the wild ox. Vikarne ra'em karna. And horns, ox, his horns. The horn is a symbol of power. It is saying that this bull's power would be like the horns of the ra'em, or wild ox. The symbolism is both majestic and it is terrible. As a side note for all King James-only readers, the words here show a mistranslation and a contradiction in that translation. They say, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. The word unicorns is decidedly incorrect. First, there are no such things. But even if the old English word speaks of a rhino or something else with one horn, the Hebrew word is singular, unicorn. And so no matter what, the translation is wrong because a unicorn has only one horn. Therefore, this is another of the innumerable errors found in that translation. 
It's just a ridiculously funny one. As for the words, the two clauses are parallel. Firstborn, his bull, magnificence to him, and horns, ox, his horns. The bull is magnificent, and the horns stand out prominently, further revealing his magnificence. But a bull with two horns is a two-horned bull. The horns then represent the two tribes of the two sons. Verse 17 continues, together with them, Bahem, in them. Despite the division by the New King James Version, this word should be a part of the next words. As such, verse 17 continues, he shall push the peoples. And I'll take the two clauses and put them together because the New King James Version should not have separated them as they did. It says, Bahem Amim Yenagach, in them peoples he butts. It is referring to the horns of the wild ox. In these two horns, Joseph's seed would butt the peoples. It is a butting bull, pushing and goring as he goes, constantly moving the peoples back as he progresses. Even, verse 17 continues, to the ends of the earth. Yachtav afse aretz, together ends land. The word together is referring to both horns working as one pushing and thrusting the people to the ends of the land of Canaan. Again, the clauses are parallel. In them peoples, he butts, together ends land. The horn pushes the people, and the horns work together to do so. The bull is the seed of Jacob. The horns represent the divisions, Ephraim and Manasseh, working as one to clear the land. From there, the blessing now speaks of the two horns, naming them individually, Verse 17 continues, they are the ten thousands of Ephraim. Vehem revot Ephraim, and they myriads Ephraim. It refers to the immense size of the tribe. He has grown into a family of giant proportions, filling the land. Next, the second horn is named. Verse 17 continues, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. Vehem alfe Manasseh, and they thousands Manasseh. Though smaller by a factor of maybe 10 or more, the tribe will be large and strong. Together, the two tribes form one bull, which is the magnificence to Joseph. Ephraim means twice fruitful, but it also means ashes. He pictures Jesus. He is twice fruitful in the land of his affliction, prevailing over the law, and thus becoming the savior of Jew and Gentile. But his work also meant that sin was judged in him. Thus, the ashes, a sign of judgment. Both names have a dual meaning, just as for Joseph. Manasseh means to forget, but it also means from a debt. He pictures Christ who replaces Adam, the man who owes a debt, but whose debt is forgotten in Christ. The two together then anticipate the explosive growth of the gospel as it pushes out further and further, even to the ends of the earth. There is both a literal and a symbolic meaning to the blessings of Moses. Each can be seen to anticipate what Christ would do. Here are those verses all put down as I translated them. Firstborn his bull, magnificence to him, and horns, ox, his horns. In them peoples he butts, together ends land, and they myriads Ephraim, and they thousands Manasseh. And to Joseph he said, Blessed Jehovah, his land, from preciousness heavens from dew, and from deep crouching underneath, and from preciousness increases sun, and from preciousness casting moons, and from excellency mountains ancient, and from preciousness hills antiquity, 
and from preciousness land and its fullness. And favor him dwells bush. Let come to head Joseph and to crown head Nazarite his brothers. Firstborn his bull magnificence to him and horns ox his horns. In them peoples he butts. Together ends land and they myriads Ephraim and they thousands Manasseh. Typology is the kind of thing that one must be careful with, and it can be stretched too far if we aren't careful. In the evaluation of these blessings, I have tried to be conservative in what is presented in this regard. The literal is obvious. Moses is blessing these tribes in prophetic utterances that will literally take place. He's also doing it in a manner that makes a rather interesting pattern of the tribes around where the temple in Jerusalem is. But more, The words are certainly anticipating the coming of Christ. Some of the typology is rather obvious. Some of it is a bit more difficult. But in the end, Moses is setting the tribes in their locations and in their circumstances, which will continue on for well over a thousand years before Christ comes. The land will continue to be occupied by Israel until he comes, even if it is ruled by outsiders. And when he came, it was to these 12 tribes. Paul makes this obvious when he spoke to King Agrippa in the book of Acts. Here's what he says. To this promise are 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? His words are in the present tense. 12 tribes were serving God in hopes of obtaining the promise. Though they have been jumbled around, dispersed among the nations and bullied by those around them, the tribes remained and the hope remained as well. Christ, the fulfillment of that hope came and yet they missed him. But the promise remains for them and it will come to its fulfillment when they call out to him. Until that day, the message, this wonderful message of hope continues on in the world. Let us be wise and check out whether it is true. I honestly believe that if you are willing to put in the effort and check, you will come to the conclusion that countless souls around the world have also come to. The hope of Israel and the blessings they are promised are realized in Christ. And for any who will come to him, he too will share in the commonwealth of Israel. Come to Christ and share in this wonderful state of blessing that the Lord has pronounced in his precious and sacred word. Our closing verse comes from Psalm 80. It's verses 1 and 2. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. The Bible asks us to consider salvation. Come and save us, it says. Well, what does being saved mean? Does it mean being saved from enemies like Israel thought? Enemies of Roman soldiers? Does it mean being saved from financial difficulties or being saved from cancer? What does it mean? The Bible speaks of salvation in a lot of different ways. But the way that it points to, in all cases, is the saving of the human soul from sin. Sin is what separates us from God. God cannot have fellowship with someone who has sin in his life. We've all been born in sin. We've all committed sin. And so God cannot fellowship with us. The world doesn't want to talk about that anymore. They want to talk about other things. But the fact is that sin is what separates us from God, and we cannot have that fellowship that we want. 
Yesterday I went on Twitter and I posted part of John 14, 6. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. If people see that tweet and they don't like it, I couldn't care diddly. It's what the Bible says and it is true. God, if you just simply think it through, even without the Bible, is holy. He is separate from us and sin is the separator. Jesus Christ came to resolve that. He came to die for our sins. He came to take that away from us and to atone for our sins by covering us so that when God sees us, he doesn't see us in our sinful state. He sees us covered with the blood of his own son who died for what we have done wrong. I would ask today that you would accept the gift of God, which is found in the giving of his son, and be reconciled to him through that. There is no other way. I don't care what you do. I don't care how long you do it. You will never atone for the sin of your soul. Please call on Jesus today. Next week is Deuteronomy 33. It's verses 18 through 22. Moses continues to bless, as you will see. It's entitled, Moses Blesses Israel. Part three. Ah, was wondering who's going to take that over. Jay cunningly set somebody up, and he wouldn't tell anybody who it was. Your voice wasn't quite low enough. You're going to need to work on that. There you go. That's much better. That'll be our 102nd Deuteronomy sermon. Okay, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. You know, I'm so glad that that happened this week and not last week. Because we would have been without a helper. So follow him and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Okay, I've got a question for you. I don't know if anybody's going to get this or not, but it's the question I'm giving you. If you do, if you do get this, I went to 7-Eleven, I'm sorry, Publix today. And while I was there, they had the two-for-one counter that they always have. And today they had um, chicken breast, white premium chicken breast. So you can put this on your shelf and you can save it for the future, you know, uh, pandemic of no food. Or you can take it home and eat it. It's um, 28% more. Look at that, 28% more. So this will be yours if you can answer this question. If not, it'll go on our shelf. If you'd store these with the, the pull-off tops, store them upside down. Because if not, they can dry out. Store them upside down to last forever. Okay, so please do that. Um, yeah, well, now you do. Okay, when Israel crossed the Jordan, set up memorial stones and set up camp, where was that location? It was on the shore. It was the Jordan. But what is the name of it? It's said several times. I'll give you a hint. It's also where they renewed the kingdom when Saul was renewed as king. He just read that. See, that's what I want. I want people to say, I just read that, and they remember. No, it's not. But that's, that's, that's a guess. Okay? Anybody? Last chance. I'll, I'll let the first one that can say this have this. It begins with a G and ends with Ilgal. Anybody? Who said it? Andy. Oh, she said Gilead. Nobody's got it yet? Gilgal. Okay, Vic, Vic wins. That took a while, but Vic wins. You get this for your emergency stores, or you get to take it home and eat it and have chicken tonight. Okay, here we go. We've got a poem, and we'll be done, because he has to get out of here. This is um, Moses Blesses Israel, part two. Of Benjamin, he said... The blessed of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him as well, who shelters him all the day long, and he shall between his shoulders dwell. And of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord is his land with the precious things of heaven with the dew 
and the deep lying beneath too. With the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months as the Lord wills, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush according to his druthers, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of the wild ox, such their worth. Together with them, he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim and they are the thousands of Manasseh. What a team. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to see prophecies that are given by one man and that will be fulfilled by the selection of tribes after that man is dead and how they will point to the coming of Jesus and in fact everything in this book eventually points to the coming of Jesus and all that he would do for the people of the world. Thank you for this sure word that we have. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret if we are following the right God with the right message. We can know with absolute surety because we have the word in our hand and we have all that it testifies to and it has come to pass and it continues to come to pass even before our eyes. Thank you for this precious word. Thank you for it and we praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.